I thought it was riding, didn't you? <laughs> our newest program of the Local Food Roundup. I'm Chris Lupalia. And I'm Ann Bowes. We're here to bring you our ongoing series of news, views, and interviews about local food here on the Palouse. I met with Glenn Holloway, owner and manager of Sassoni Farm here in the Palouse. Doug and his wife Pam have been active members of the local sustainable agriculture movement here in the Palouse for some time. Glenn has served as vice president the board of directors for the Moscow Food Co-op. He's also served as a member of the steering committee for the Greater Palouse Meat Producers. Glenn, your perspective of local food comes from your own unique history. You've told me of how you came to be aware of the need for local food infrastructure when you were working for the Defense Department. Correct. And you were chief of critical infrastructure, is that right? that's correct. In Washington, D.C. Right. Can you tell our listeners just how your perspective changed from that? Uh, in that job, literally, actually, it was uh, I had Europe, Africa, United States, and Southeast Asia at the time, all under my purview. And what we were looking at, there's 10 critical infrastructures that uh, the Defense Department looks at when they do any kind of operations so that you can sustain an operation. And, of course, one of those is food. You've got to feed people. You've heard the, the story, an army travels on its belly. Mm-hmm. Well, in... 2006, I was part of a group that did a research paper on what would happen in America if we had an attack, let's say North Korea, since they're in the, in the news these days, and we got hit with an electromagnetic pulse attack, and it only would take three of them. And what would happen to, uh, to America, and what would, what would be the biggest uh, impact from that? As an EMP, we shut down computer systems, uh, a lot of our, our transportation, everything else, uh, as examples. Uh, at one time when a main flooded out in Boston and cut one of the main thoroughfares bringing food into Boston, within three days there was no food. And okay. we, had, we had people running out of food and literally had to get the National Guard activated mm-hmm. and start delivering food off the back of ton and a half trucks to keep people fed until they could repair all the road structure and get people in, right. which got caught my attention. And I says, well, you know, if we don't have food systems, I mean, uh, you've got Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've got food and shelter right up at the very point. And uh, the report we did to uh, President Bush at the time back in uh, 2006 basically said, due to the fact that once the food runs out, people are going to start looking for it and they'll do whatever. And so you will have basic gang warfare in your cities and there'll be ratings going on in the countryside and within two years you'd have 80% deaths in America due to the unrest caused by the lack of food and water and structures to live in. Okay, that's pretty scary. So that got my attention real carefully. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, basically I quit that job in 2011 and on the little farm we had in Virginia Started to do sustainable agriculture, got to know Joel Salatin and some others that were working on regenerative agriculture, uh, studied under them, and we started feeding literally just off of a 10-acre farm over 60 families. 
mm-hmm. feeding local people. Right. Now, the good thing about Virginia was, I mean, uh, you would think coming back, we came back to Idaho because uh, I grew up in Orfino, uh, and there's about seven regions in the United States that if something happened, you could probably produce all the local food you needed. There used to be 62 different crops in this area, along with all the the protein sources, such okay. as... Okay, give me a few examples. You, you well, you got more than just lentils and, uh, and garbanzo beans well, and wheat. Well, that's the recent yeah, they're used, yeah, post-industrial. That's it. Right, it's yeah. gotten industrialized. It, that's where right. the money's at, and that's, right. where, that's where the support as far as government support goes to. Okay, but what did we have before? I've been asking historians Well, you, you, had, you had all the traditional uh, the crops. Of course, you had, you know, you had corns, you had uh, your tomatoes and those types of things. You, you had, had a, a dryland corn. Yep. Okay, we had a dryland potato, don't, didn't yes. we? Yes. yes. So okay. you had so you had all your basic crops that used to be here when the, when the settlers first showed up, where they had to take care of themselves. Well, they had themselves. the apples and the prunes, I know that. Apples, prunes, uh, you know, we still have that. They grew asparagus here. I mean, okay. you know, in the valley of the Ho 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 Green Giant. That used to be all asparagus grounds down in there. Now it's all wheat fields. So, so it's all changed over the years, and it was mm-hmm. changed because, uh, you know, in a lot of things that go on with government, and uh, hence a lot of things that go on with uh, industrialized and large farmers, because uh, back there, a guy by the name of John Eichert, who was an agriculture industrialist, said, you know, you have uh, economies of scale, so if you have a bigger farm, and you have, can produce more, then you're going to make more. And so the government That's started right. pushing bigger farms. And mm-hmm. you started all the mm-hmm. little farms, slowly got pushed out because everybody wanted to do that. Now I will tell you, you're going, well, I don't think we saw that around here. I will tell you, just take a tour now around the Palouse and you will see, wait a sec, they're growing hay. And that field used to be something else, and now it's hay. Because two years ago, we had an influx of need for hay to be sent not only to the East Coast, they're shipping it out in these great big bales. That's and right. And it's going east, and it's also going down into Saudi Arabia and other places mm-hmm. that are doing those things. Well, Japan, and they go, goes everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. And the price of hay went up, and everybody said, let's get into hay. And the fields that were doing different things are now doing commercial hay. And they're actually doing that's it right. on a large scale. So that's what happened in this region. So I moved back here knowing that it had been that way. Well, and, we and also used to raise a lot of beef, a beef, lot of beef, milk. lamb, pork. Idaho is number four in the nation for dairy. Mm-hmm. Uh, pork, sheep, mm-hmm. uh, all that was raised in this area. And but we had changes, 1967 a Wholesome Meat Act. I love the name of that. Right. And the other thing that happened was Idaho got rid of its own inspection uh, department for processing meats in 1980. That's right. That's right. And when that went away, it all fell then back back on the USDA mm-hmm. and under the FSIS, the Safety Inspection uh, Service, they said you can't feed people meat that's been processed unless it's in a USDA packing plant that's through right. a government inspection. So all of a sudden, all your custom shops, unless you're just selling straight from the farm to somebody who wants to buy a half. Only. Only. That's right. So, all that happened, and uh, so you found your, your small farms going away. You found your ability to actually do what we call sustainable agriculture uh, get severely hampered because you can't be sustainable if you're, you're a monoculture or a monocrop right. in the area. That's right. And so, these things I was talking about that happened in Boston and some other places uh, around here, if something like that happened, everybody's going to say, well, we've got stores of wheat. I mean, it might have worked for, uh, you know, Joseph back in Egypt, back in the biblical days. <laughs> But around here, everybody's going to look and say, wait a sec, we don't have any stores, and nobody's going to live just on wheat. And so, no. <laughs> so it becomes, becomes a real problem when you start using the word sustainable, because sustainable, according to the USDA, 
uh, goes back to local, the local food movement type thing, and according to them, that's 250 miles uh, from wherever your market is. Well, the problem, of course, is if your infrastructure gets damaged to the point where you're not transporting and you have no connections with anybody else, how are you going to get that food to you from 250 miles away? Now, that's in the, the Holocaust type of scenario. That is, yes. But there's still a lot of other reasons to have local food. Well, there is. Uh, first of all, you can control your you control your product a whole lot better locally. Well, if I know my farmer, yes, I can. And we always push that. And of course, that's kind of why I came out back out here and uh, working with Alan Sabre and Joel Salatin. It's, it's always one of the things. And Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund says, mm -hmm. you want to know what you're eating. I want to know what I'm eating. Yes. Go meet your farmer. Yep, Go I agree. Straight to your farmer. Find out what you're getting because it's very easy to say, oh. The package says no antibiotics, no genetically modified feeds, no soy, no, 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 no. And it's not a package. That doesn't mean that's how they're practicing. Mm -hmm. There's nobody inspecting that. They package it. And as long as it was processed USDA, mm -hmm. the farmer can come in and say, no, I don't do any of that. And there, nobody goes out to his farm and watches what he's doing to find out whether he meets any of those criteria. Not now. So it became a problem. And what really happened was that uh, it's like anything else. You have to kind of... The uh, as back in the early 2000s, we started having uh, foodborne Ill illnesses. Uh, we had a series at one time where they were having, they traced it back to some uh, strawberries in California. People got sick from that, and they traced it back. Uh, Cargill and Tyson's, who were raising large poultry operations, had like 77,000 people get sick, and they had to pull back a billion pounds of chickens and mm -hmm. and all these things. Large commercial operations. That's. Now, what about the spinach operation that people credit for um, causing, you know, for creating the interest in the FISMA in FSMA? What about that? Because I mean, of the wasn't water that going on to them? There were, yeah, there were things going on. What's the background? Well, from what I understand is that you know, anytime you're taking something that uh, you're having to irrigate and water and take care of as far as safety goes with uh, what you're applying to the fields. Back on the East Coast, you've got large CAFOs, confined animal feeding operations. I mean, you know, we call them stockyards out here. That, right. <laughs> uh, and then you have dairies, and people in dairies know the big problem there is that there's, you know, tons worth of uh, feces that's done, and a lot of it goes into tanks, and then they spray it back over their fields. Well, the first time, you know, you have uh, rain or anything else, or you go out and sprinkle the area, that all leaches down into the soil and into your water system. And now, you, right. now you've got contaminants in the water system where maybe just downrange, they're mm -hmm. pumping it back out and spraying it all over a field that they're going to put into packages and send to you in the store. So what we're doing is we're going to those people who are working the fields and raising the produce and saying, you've got, you're the problem, Right. but they're not really the source of the problem. No, the source of the problem is the fact that we really goes back to, and I'm not trying to put one against the other, but when you start working with a large... Uh, industrial farming, and it's almost of any kind of industrial farming, because with CAFOs and, and dairy, of course, you're working with uh, manure and those types of things that can spread disease, but even with large crops, uh, the Palouse is a, a prime example of that. Up until a couple of years ago, we didn't spray a whole lot of Roundup around here. 
the, the uh, we're using a lot of Roundup now uh, mm -hmm. to keep things mm -hmm. done, and we've even got you know Roundup Ready Alfalfa. That's right. And, and so you've got all this being sprayed on things because it increases yield, everybody mm -hmm. makes more money, and those industrial people are saying, oh, this is great, but the small farmers not because a uh, back in uh, 2005, Cornell University did actually did a study on sustainable agriculture, and they said literally to to be sustainable, it's small farms. You have to have numerous small farms that are mm -hmm. not monoculture, and they have to vary all around to, to meet all your needs nutritionally in that region, and it's the only way you can sustain a food system. But it is the small farmers that are being most affected by the FSMA, yes. even though um, if they make 25000 a year gross right. or less, right. they are not, They're not um, held to that. Right. But we're getting the feedback from a whole lot of distributors that will not take these people unless they go whole hog into uh, FSMA. Correct. And they can't afford it. They can't afford the insurance. They can't afford to do all the containers. They can't afford to do all the testing. It's really killing them. Yeah, the, uh, the cost of doing the uh, FSMA is uh, borne by the farmer. Uh, they are ultimately going to register everybody. Uh, it'll cost you $500 a year to keep you current. Mm -hmm. Well, and we should probably go back and explain what FSMA really is for the people who are listening that don't really understand it. Right. Well, it's the Far uh, Food Safety Modernization Act. It came into effect back in January 4th of 2011. It was signed in by uh, Obama when he was in here. And then it was followed by a year of data gathering. In other words, then they went out and asked questions. So they signed it into a law. <laughs> And then the government, in its infinite wisdom, says, well, maybe we should go out and ask questions whether how we're going to set this up to do what we just signed into law. Mm-hmm. We've heard this before. Real good. We've heard this before in other things. Okay. And, and the aim was to in, in, uh, supply our, uh, our food systems and make sure that they're safe. And it, it was shifting from what had been reactionary before, people getting sick and going, oh, let's go find out where it came from, track it down, go back to the shed, then correct it there, to be in a preventive measure where they were going to enact a bunch of uh, offices and systems that would uh, look at things preventively. And let's say we stop those types of environments that would uh, cause foodborne illnesses from various sources. So literally, it takes and gives the uh, FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the right to go back and enact laws and have uh, agencies that literally start from the ground up, all the way up to the consumer, regulating all along the line those things that could possibly become a problem and cause foodborne illnesses and impacts directly on your food system. And so that was their, that was their main focus because uh, they concluded, they did a study, and this is like I said once again, they enacted the law in, in 2011, and they did mm -hmm. a study in 2014 yep, yep. <laughs> to find out, gee, what are we getting sick from? Mm -hmm. Now, you would have thought it would have been the other way around, but no. that's, that's the government. <laughs> so they, they do, they do this, this study, and they come back, and they say, well, you know, about 30% of the population is at risk of getting sick sometime in their life. And uh, we have about 3,000 deaths a year from something that somebody reacts to caused by their food. So this was unacceptable. So then they started doing that. Uh, the FDA, then once this was signed, reorganized uh, into four different areas, which created 29 different sub-agencies 
which would do prevention, inspection and compliance, look at what's coming in and being imported. They opened up three offices to work with the states to see to make sure that the states enacted laws that were complementary to the federal laws. And they, layer uh, over layer is what right. they're so doing. So it's just layered. And then fees because, well, we got to find some way to, to fund these things that we've just created. So they pass that on to the farmer. Yes, through and saying the farmers you have, are, are paying for these classes they're required to they're take. They're required to actually do basically a hazmat class that you have to write a plan uh, that identifies all the possible... Uh, all the possibilities along your production route where some kind of a, a foodborne illness could be interjected, whether it be from the water system, which should be tested. They want you to be tested every week. That's a $60 a week test fee. Mm -hmm. And that, that eliminates a small farmer. Oh, it definitely does. And now, things that we've done as small farmers over the years, uh, going out and pumping water out of the streams. That's right. Pumping water out of ponds, which if you look mm -hmm. around the Palouse, Everybody's got a pond out there for, as a That's catch right. basin for runoff. Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to say you can't do that because what we, what's running into that pond, we have no idea. So now we're going to make you test that pond every time you pump out of it to make sure that it's not passing on some kind of pathogen. Well, so what that's doing is keeping only the large producers it's really yeah, favors, the favors the large producers and totally kills because small farmers are working on the margin anyway. There's farmers in this area that are making 15 cents an hour for their production. Yep. And they're barely making it from plate to plate. Yep. And, uh, and they're so limited in the other areas. Um, market gardening, market farming was one area they could actually participate in the local economy. In. Right. They can't do it very easily in dairy. Nope. And we know that the meat industry, because of the 1967 Act, has pretty much gone the wayside. The problem with it, yes. And what really happened in Idaho, specifically, and since this is audience is going to be basically Idaho and maybe some parts of Washington, in Idaho, they did things like uh, the federal government allows you to process from exemption from inspection up to 20,000 chickens. Mm -hmm. In Idaho, it's not even legal to process a chicken outside. Oh. You can't even do it outside. Now, didn't Salatin write a great deal on that about outdoor processing and his... Yep. And he's, yeah, he and had he, that problem in Virginia. He's in Virginia, and in Virginia allows it. Idaho took chickens away from the USDA and stuck it under the food code. That's with rabbits, uh, yes. Along with rabbits. Mm -hmm. So who has to say whether you can raise and sell chickens? The local health department. Who okay. came out to my farm... And so I was processing, just like Joel Salatin, in a line, under a roof, outdoors, and said, you can't do that. And I said, but the federal law says I can. And they said, well, we fully support the federal law, but in Idaho, we've put it into the food code. Oh, great. So we've got these small farmers. And I know, you know, Chris and I know a lot of small farmers because of the work we do. Right. And you know a lot of small farmers because of the work you do. Right. We're seeing these guys, even with all the difficulty coming to this point and in time, we're seeing fewer. And now we've got FISMA. And it's killing them. So for the people who really aren't aware of FISMA, they really aren't aware of how this is going to impact people. The, yeah, and, that, and that's really the problem. And, and when I was teaching farming, just in general, uh, you know, first you say, okay, somebody come and say, I want to take a class on sustainable farming, uh, the Joel Salatin way. And I mm -hmm. always smiled, and I went, okay. And I said, we're going to do that. I'll give you an overview of what that is. And so we do the overview. And then I say, okay, now let's do a financial analysis. And the very next thing is 
fixed costs, variable costs, mm -hmm. rules and regulations that cost you things, mm -hmm. and where's your markets? Yeah. Well, that's, that under Alan Savory is the social compartment. So under the social side is you can't be sustainable if you have no markets, if you don't make a living, and if the laws are against you, and if mm -hmm. the environment can't be supported in a way that keeps it healthy and sustainable, i.e. under the FSMA, you're not supposed to have even chickens roaming around scratching for bugs in your garden. That's, That's against right. the rules. That's right. And if you have compost, you have to measure it three times a day. It has to reach 110 degrees That's three right. times, and you have to record it. And then, then you can go out, maybe spread it on someplace, but you've got to file a plan to say where are you going to spread that compost and make sure it's not going down into your water system. Which the small farmers you cannot can, You cannot do. do that. You don't have time. Yeah, you're living already on the margins, uh, and it just basically stops you and says, you know, it's just easier to do one of two things. Either you say, if you can't beat them, join them. And well, you, and you get big. You get big. Right. And so, that means you're going to use an industrial approach. Industrial approach, and you change your whole farming method, or you go out of business. Yeah. That's sad. It is very sad. So, here we are. Is there any light at the end of the channel? Is there something on the horizon that looks good? What can happen? Well, I'm not sure what happens with the SMA. I do know that, you know, the classes are being taught because now you're required to uh, to write a plan. Your your supervisors and workers are, are, are supposed to take a safety course and be able to look how to do this, uh, you know, look how to make it all work within the rules, uh, just as, you know, they give classes on the legal part of it and everything else. Uh, what's going to happen, and I hate to say this, is that there really has to be an outcry from the consumer because the consumer is going to have to get on board and come down and say, listen, we want food that's from a local area, and I don't mean 250 miles, but from a local area. We want local farmers to participate because then the dollar gets circulated locally yes. and you, yeah. can generate the, you can generate a local industry. And... Like you said, you can go out and get to know your farmers so you know you're eating healthy, healthy food. And if there is an outbreak, just like when I was raising milk, mm -hmm. and this is, this is another one of those things where you kind of go, really? In Idaho, you can only have three cows if you're doing raw milk. Right. And you can either do a herd share or you can do a license through the state of Idaho. Either way, they want you licensed. Mm -hmm. So they come up once a month, once a month, mind you, and you give them four ounces of milk. I never had my inspector ever see where that came from, which cow it came from, <laughs> whether the cows were well or not well, or whether even how many cows I had. So I give them the four ounces. The criteria was that within two hours of being drawn from the cow, it had to be down below 40 degrees. Okay. So then they take a sample, mm -hmm. and he takes it with them, the four mm -hmm. ounces. Eight days later, I get the results. Eight days. I'm selling milk to people. That in eight days is already going to go sour. So in that's right. In so if there's a problem, it's gone already. Right. So the person who has to keep track of their customers and give them a a a way to get back to you if there is a problem, and this could apply to anything locally because farmers have got to learn to be responsible a responsibility to their consumers and say, listen, you're on my list. Here's my phone number. If something goes wrong, the first person you call is me, mm -hmm. so I can go out and find out what's wrong. Yeah. And correct it. And then alert the other people that might also be... But I know the small farmers in the area, and almost if you're selling eggs, you've got your your business card or something on that egg carton. Sure do. Yeah, and you've required. got the phone number. Yep. And if it's local, they can get to you. Yes. And I had that happen numerous times. I had uh, 
I had some eggs that uh, as we went from uh, spring into summer, um, you know, you're out collecting eggs, you might miss one or two. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple eggs that were obviously old. Mm -hmm. And when they cracked them open, the yolk broke, and they said, oh, oh yeah. yeah. And so the gal said something, hey, I just bought some of your eggs, mm -hmm. and this is what happened. I said, I'll come in tomorrow and give you a whole new dozen. Yeah, and that's the right way to do yeah, it. And, right and the small farmers do that. Right. So they correct their own faults. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's a free market. And what happens if you don't have a? And this is, I guess, where it all boils down to. When I was talking about the consumer. If you have a free a market, a free market that is regulated by the fact that you're not going to go out and buy food that one doesn't taste good, two, you th if you went in and looked at where it was coming from, was not raised to the standards you wanted raised to. I mean, the guys mm -hmm. out there. I asked one guy. I said, "Can I get feed from you?" And he says. Yeah, and I says, do you use glyphosate? And he says, oh, I wouldn't worry about that. He says, I spray so much pesticide on everything else. That's what I'd worry about. <laughs> went, oh, my goodness. And I went, are you kidding me? And he's like, no. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't think I'll come over and buy feed from you. He says, well, we all do that. It keeps the bugs out. And he says, and there's a little bit of arsenic in there, which is in, to kill the... Oh, great, heavy metals. Yeah, to, to kill the mice <laughs> and things that might get in the feed. And, I'm, and this is guy, he's telling me this on the phone. And I went, well, you know, I think I'll pass. So, okay. But... Uh, yeah, a free market will drive that because consumers are not going to buy something they think one's going to make them sick or two, they have no recourse in case something happens or that you're doing it in a manner that they're not going to support financially. So it really becomes a self-regulating system. But when they're not allowed to have that market, that's then, a whole different matter. Then they have to buy it from the supermarket. Correct. And, and make the, the eggs from the supermarket aren't the same. No. The meat is not the same. And I think the produce is going to go in the same direction. Well, it is, because uh, you have to make a living. And people raising the stuff realize that if we don't get on board with the FSMA and do things and get licensed... Mm -hmm. uh, well, they're not going to be working. They're not going to be working. Case in point. And they've got to get big. Case in point. I just came back from Colorado, and a group over there was putting together a large aquaponics project. Uh-huh. According to the new rules, they couldn't even have earthworms in, oh, no. With, oh, no. in with that tailings because you didn't know where those earthworms had been. That's be a, that would be about the best thing to feed them, wouldn't it? Bingo! Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and the guy said, I just lost three months of orders because they came down with this new criteria. And I went, oh, that was part of the process. So now I've got to figure out how do I now filter all that stuff and do everything in. So uh, I just kind of looked at him and smiled and went, I don't know. I have no clue. Oh, boy. So it just gets a little more difficult all the time, but you know, it really uh, ultimately takes a uh, an uprising from the consumer in conjunction with the uh, with the farmer. And we've even gone further than that. My wife and I now are even working with a thing that's called uh, physicians and farmers. And what oh, we're really? what we're doing is that we have contacted nationally known physicians like Dr. Mercola yes. and others. Yes. And uh, went to lunch with them in Colorado. Oh, and nice. uh, they're trying to work this in out of uh, Dallas right now. And what it is is that physicians have had this epiphany because you know physicians aren't trained in, in nutrition mostly. They're mm -hmm. trained in medicine, traditional medicine. But now they've realized that you know if we feed people good food. The secondary and tertiary effects of all that is that we can lower insurance costs because not as people get, many people get sick uh, with a healthier society. We don't have as many other problems related to it. So uh, what we proposed was in local areas, your physician should have a list of farmers that they know use the practices that are healthy and that they could tell somebody, you got a problem or I've got you on chemo or I've got something else going on. You need something to fix your gut. Go see Farmer X 
He's raising raw milk, and we know his raw milk is good, and it'll help you stay healthy. As long as that raw milk is legal. Right. And this is the problem. And that's where the yeah. problem lies. We have to yeah. get laws to support it that's and adjust right. them. Right now, uh, the big push that we're doing right now is a thing called the Prime Act. The Prime Act, like I said, in 1980, we lost uh, local meat inspections here in Idaho, but uh, Senator Massey out of Kentucky, with the help of Joel Salatin, introduced the Prime Act about three years ago. It went into committee and has sat there for a while, but what it does is that it takes and gives custom butchers and meat products, basically, in the state the right to not have to be USDA inspected as long as that meat stays in the state. That's right, and we're talking meat, um, and this is perhaps going to be attached to the farm app. If it goes through, it will make a huge difference. Now, the sad thing is, uh, you, you know that Chris and I and you have been working for years to get something like this through. It would make a huge difference, but now we're facing FISMA. And so, we've got one, on one hand, we've got something very good potentially happening. We need to fix the FISMA, and the only thing that's going to do that is the consumers out there, the people that are listening, the people that want to eat the food, who want to say, this is how my food is raised. I want it local. I want it the way I, I need it. Exactly. And the only way you can do that is through being what I would call being an activist. I had somebody look at me and said, you're a yep. rebel rouser. And I said, they said, what did you do this morning, two days ago? Mm -hmm. I said, at 8 o'clock, I called Senator Rowell's office and said, the Primax going in and going to be attached to possibly the farm bill. I want your support. Good. And, and that's what we all need to do. Right. And from that, I called the governor's office. And I said, <laughs> this is what's happening. And we have new people running for the government. And this is what they need to do. I laid out the whole list of things that I thought would be a responsible governor. And I put it on Facebook. Well, Glenn, <laughs> it's been wonderful talking with you. I think the takeaway here is that we all need to be radical food activists. We need to change the system. We need to make sure the laws make sense. And with that, I thank you. Well, I thank you for inviting me in here, and it's been a pleasure as always. It has. Well, that's it for this show. The Local Food Roundup is a production of KRFP in Moscow, Idaho. As always, the views presented in this program do not necessarily represent the views of KRFP, its board, staff, or members. And remember that local food may not be free, but... It sure can set you free. Thanks for listening.